Welcome to Discovering Nutrition with Chronometer. I am your host and community marketing manager, Elisa, and today we are so happy to have on our good friend and celebrity trainer, Don Saladino. Don is a coach and fitness entrepreneur and has been training actors, athletes, and musicians for over 20 years. He's owned and operated several brick and mortar gyms and has expanded to a global online fitness business, coaching over a million clients worldwide. He's developed a reputation for training some of the biggest names in Hollywood for the big screen, including Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively, and Jake Gyllenhaal, just to name a few. As always, this podcast is for general purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including getting medical advice. The use of information from this podcast is at the user's own risk and is not to be substituted for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now, without further ado, let's welcome on my good friend and extraordinary human being, Done. All right, so we're here with episode three of Discovering Nutrition with Chronometer with one of our favorite humans on the planet, <laughs> Chronometer user for over six years, Don Saladino. It's been uh, it's been magical too. It's a it's, magical it, six years. It's uh, been awesome to watch our partnership evolve over the last year. It's yeah. it's a natural fit for us because you used the app before before we knew each other, and that's that's what we love. We obviously love when people are invested in the product before before a partnership begins because you've probably learned a lot about your nutrition through the app. Of course, um, I mean, listen, I, I think you just learn a lot about nutrition through measuring macros, right? And it's mm-hmm. it, it, it's a little bit of a catch twenty two because most people think that they're gonna oh well. Measuring macro stresses me out. I'm like, wait a second, not measuring macro stresses me out because I don't know if I'm getting 200 grams of protein or 250 grams of protein in one day because that stuff, I don't care if you're measuring with your palm, your hand, your fist. Like, mm-hmm. It starts, if, if five meals a day, you start getting 10 less grams of protein, that's 50 grams. Like, That's significant. That's, that's, over, that's 200 calories right there. So for me, it's, um, I, I think by measuring, we're, we're, we're literally taking out any of the guesswork. I feel the same way. I track regardless if I'm having like an on or an off day. And then protein is one of those things I get a woeful amount if I'm not tracking. So it's really important for me to measure that. Uh, This month we're doing fitness month, which is why we wanted you to be the guest because there's no better fitness guru than you. Um, Thank you. It's interesting because I've been in this space not nearly for as long as you have, but for almost five years now. And so some of the questions that, you know, I asked some people seem like like going back to the basics. But I think that it's important to get those building blocks dialed. So I do have a couple questions Agreed. just to fire off to you. Um, okay. John's been doing this for over 20 years, right? You've been Yeah, closer to closer years. closer to 25 now. That's amazing. So, okay. we're going to draw on all of Don's knowledge. I do have a, a quick list of questions here that we can even just rapid fire just to get to the bottom of some of the most common questions on Google. <laughs> do you need to work out every day or should you work out every day? No, I think working out could be gift wrapped in many different ways. It's it's uh, but I, I do think if we want res- resistance training, if we want to get into the gym, I really believe someone getting started three days a week, if your schedule is crazy, three days a week can get a lot done. And I think those other days, we want to make sure that we have a higher level of activity. I, I do believe that we should be at least trying to get our steps in. But if someone wanted to go lift three days a week and do, say, two days of cardio, I think if you're, if you're active like that five days a week, I think that's phenomenal. And um, I think you can do a lot with the human body, depending on what your um, goals are. Obviously, if you're a bodybuilder, it's going to change a little bit. Things are going to change. We're trying to create hypertrophy, but I'm talking about general fitness right now, trying to look better naked, trying to have high levels levels of energy, (laughs) sleep better, just just feel better, function better. I I think that's a good, I think it's a good approach. When you say get your steps in, I've heard that 10,000 steps is kind of something to strive for. Do you agree with that? No. I don't actually. I think someone just pulled that number out of the air. I yeah. think a lot of these. I think a lot of these coaches now. I think they're all trying to systematize stuff. I I heard someone the other day talking about 
you know, how, how do you know, this sounds completely off topic, but think about it. How do you know if the ground's too hot for your dog to walk around? They're like, well, take the back of your hand and put it on the asphalt. And if you can hold it there for 10 seconds, your dog's fine. And that's, I spoke to like, like six vets. I know a lot of, there's a lot of vets in my town and I've been asking them just like, Oh, by the way, I got a question for you. And they're like, no, that's not true at all. So (laughs) I just think people turn around and they try and figure out a way to like, like I always hear about these morning, like what's your morning routine? And Oh God, like I wake up every morning and I drink green tea and I meditate and I, and I burn incense and I'm like, oh yeah, that's not me. Like my morning's kind of chaos. Like I have <laughs> two kids <laughs> and I'm trying to get up and I've got a, I'm having breakfast while checking emails and I'm trying to chew my food a little bit more slowly. And obviously I wake up and try and hydrate first thing in the morning. I always hydrate first thing in the morning. But I, I think what happens sometimes is where people are always trying to like gift wrap something or say, this is the way that I do it. So this mm-hmm. is the way that you should do it. And it doesn't always work that way. Morning routines don't work for everyone. You know, meditation, I know it's a very healthy thing, but sometimes, you know, people just, you know, I'm not great at meditating. Am I healthy? Absolutely. How do I know I'm healthy? My blood markers, I have Dr. Gabrielle Lyon looking over me throughout the year and my labs are phenomenal and my body composition is great and I get eight hours of sleep a night and I'm happy and my stress levels are are, are way down and there's just, there's things that you can do to, to, to gauge success but I think we start obsessing over routines that other people do. And I don't think that's a good thing either. Well, I think that it's when someone sees the way that somebody looks, they want to know what that person does because they assume that if they do the same things that they're going to look the same. When in actual fact, that's not necessarily true. There's so many things that go into it, like genetics and everything. So look at me. I'm I, sure I, that- I'm literally, just so you know, just so I'm clear, <laughs> I just got out of the pool. I just got out of the pool. I, I rushed here because I have an open water swim um, August 6th where we're swimming with um, for the GI Go Fund. And I probably got about 2,500 yards in right now in the water. And like, I might hit 7,000 steps today. Does that mean I'm not healthy? Do I have yeah. to get like, – so, there, so there's certain days that we're out and we're training and we're sprinting and we're doing specific things that might be in a little bit of a, of a smaller – quantity of volume that you're not accumulating those 10,000 steps. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I know people getting 20,000 steps a day. They're just not healthy. They don't have high levels of body composition. So I really believe it's quality, not quantity. I just think that we need to improve our steps if it's low. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had a, a, a guy recently come to me that I'm helping out. You know, I don't take on clients, but I'm helping this guy out for free. It's kind of a friend. It's a charity case. He was getting 400 steps a day and he weighed 515 mm-hmm. pounds. And his, he was drinking two glasses of water a day. You know, a month later, he's up at 6,000 steps a day and yeah. he's getting about 200 ounces of water a day. And we're just focusing on that. And food quality is pretty good, not perfect, but mm-hmm. we're improving that at a rate where he can sustain it. If we go harder, if we go faster, if we add more volume, his knees might inflame, his feet, he's got uh, you know, other things are going to happen because he's carrying around 500 pounds or now maybe 475 pounds of body weight. But you know, to turn around and say 10,000 steps is where you need to be, we might get him there. We might get him higher. We might get him mm-hmm. less. And he might get to a normal level of body composition. But to say 10,000 is the number, ah, that's out. I think moderation. You know what's so interesting? I got a puppy a couple months ago. And I most people, when they get a dog, it's like a good exercise tool for them. And they're getting out more. Interestingly enough, I'm less savage now that I have a dog because I'll go running with her, but then, you know, she'd go to the bathroom and then she'll stop and smell stuff. So my, instead of like, go, 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 I used to be a little relentless. Now I'm like stopping so she can drink water in the river and like those kinds of things. So it's interesting. Like moderation is, it's been hard to learn, but really good. And I think it's more sustainable. Yeah. I think if you were, I think if you were training for something, obviously if it was like, all right, you had a race, you had a bed, great, Mm -hmm. but what are you doing this for? Like, I've known you for a while. Like you're trying to be healthy. Yeah. You enjoy the effects of training. You enjoy the effects of eating good. Like you like moving. You're always in the Mm -hmm. mountains. You're always doing this high level of activity. Mm -hmm. Keep it fun. Have a, have a good time with it. And as long as I feel that you're getting in, when I say better shape, I mean, if your body is not getting worse and if you feel Mm -hmm. great and this is you're training your mind as well as your body. As long as we're not moving in the reverse direction, I I'm concerned when people are like, "Oh my god, I'm doing this class." I'm like, "How do you feel?" Oh my god, it's so much fun, but like my shoulder hurts, my hip hurts, and I'm like, mm-hmm. "Okay, 
we got to assess what you're doing. That that it becomes a problem. But you know, it's all about moving. I Safe agree. Um, one of the questions, this is a great segue. One of the other questions is how long should someone work out a day? Cause you hear like gym rats from the out in the, in the gym for hours and some are like fit in a 30 minute workout. There's a ton of apps geared specifically at women that are 30 minutes. Like, is there a set time? What are your thoughts? I, I think it's, again, we're, we're getting down to, to the goal. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're Michael Phelps training to, be in the Olympic, if you're a bodybuilder training to get on a stage, or if you're an Olympic lifter, if you're someone who you're training for a specific goal, I think, yeah, that's when, when time's going to become a factor. And I think that's something that you need to pay attention to, but I've seen magic happen in 20 to 30 minutes. I've seen people who've been completely sedentary turn around the following year and do 10 minutes a day and they've gotten into, you know, significantly better shape. So again, I think it's your training age, which means how many years you've been training. My training age is probably north of about 30 years. I'm 45. I started training when I was about you know, 15 re- with resistance, but I've been an athlete my whole life. So I think it depends on your training age. I think it depends on your goal. But for those people out there, if you're turning around and you're like, oh my God, I'm working out. Every, you know, I work out five days a week and right at the 22 minute mark, I just lose motivation. Then I would mm-hmm. have you do 20 minutes. And yeah. you're, we're, we can design the program to where you could be successful. You can get a lot done. You can get in a great shape. You can feel great. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, like, how are we quantifying success, right? Like, it's, I if someone, agree. Yeah, but I mean, if, you're, if someone's turning around, they're like, I created, I'm doing this program that so-and-so created for me, and it's 15 minutes a day. How do you feel? Amazing. I'm mm-hmm. sleeping better. My body composition's better. I look better naked. Oh, my God. Like, everything is just great. I'm going to tell them that that's not enough. You right? Is, is it crazy? Like, what am I, nuts? Like, this formula is working for you. You're motivated. Are you ever getting tired during the year? No. So you feel great. Yeah, I feel great. Okay, great. Then stay with it. So I think it really comes down to proofs in the pudding. On the other, on the other hand, I love to train. And I find myself sometimes, you know, I'll be in sessions for two hours. And there's a cost of doing business. My body feels great. But there might be mornings when I wake up, depending on my levels of stress. When I say stress, I don't mean bad stress. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. through just training and you know, being a dad and running around and running several businesses and that stress on the body. So sometimes that could catch up on you. And when you wake up and you realize your readiness isn't where it needs to be, then that's when you kind of back off and play a little bit of catch up. Yeah. I, I like that. Thank you. Uh, I like everything you say. <laughs> Let's be honest. I like everything you say. <laughs> How can one increase lean muscle mass? We've talked about this before, but this is one of the most common questions that we hear because everyone is seeking this word. It's it's toned. You know how many times have you seen the word toned? Everybody just wants to look toned. Adam and I, your friend Adam Ross, the rich yeah. dietitian, talked about this. How people think that they're going to lose X number of pounds, and that means they're going to look toned. When in actual fact, that's not the case. So, no. how can somebody burn or get more lean muscle? Are, are they doing lighter, lighter weights for more reps, heavier weights for less? What, I what think is your these are great. These are this, these are great questions, and I know not. I think I, I I know it's from an approach I've been taking for 25 years, and mm-hmm. you'll hear a lot of people who start training. Oh, I want to get toned. I'm just going to do cardio, and I'm like, okay, great. You're getting into hopefully good conditioning, and mm-hmm. and uh, you're 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 training a healthy heart, but you have no. And this word scares people: lean muscle mass. Well, I don't want to get bigger. And they're like, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get bigger. When, when are you going to get bigger is when you start consuming a lot of the wrong calories and, it, you know, that can cause puffiness, inflammation. I don't care if your total daily energy expenditure, meaning your total amount of calories throughout the day is 3,000. If you're, if you're consuming 3,000 calories through McDonald's, that's going to cause inflammation. That's going to mm-hmm. cause, you know, your hormones and your body to have to work overtime to detoxify all that processed food. So I, I never agree with a calorie is a calorie. Like calories right. are energy. I think it's like gasoline. You can put 87 octane in your car. Or you can put 93 octane in your car. Your car is going to respond and run and perform a little bit differently. So uh, I love that. I actually love that. I'm going to use that <laughs> somewhere use sometime. I, didn't, I don't think, I don't think I created that, but I've been okay, using well, it I'm for give probably you credit. To, give me credit. I've been using it for about 20 years, but I think, and, and I do this with a lot of my women clients, female clients, and they have an understanding of the importance 
of resistance training. When I say resistance, I mean training with a barbell, a kettlebell, a dumbbell, band. Resistance training. Resistance where we're adding some type of external load to the body to create tension throughout the movement or throughout the muscle. And I've worked with more celebs and 99.9999% of the coaches on the planet and some of the biggest names in Hollywood, females who have very feminine looking bodies, Blake Lively, Annie Hathaway, Emily Blunt, Scarlett Johansson. I mean, I can go on and on and on. These women have very, I think, athletic but feminine looking physiques. Mm -hmm. We train them to become strong. And we train them to have a level of resiliency on their body. Muscle is body armor. If we have muscle on our body, our body will burn more fat calories. So for people trying to get leaner, focus on putting on muscle. And if your nutrition is where it needs to be, if you're following chronometer, which I think is a very easy guide, if you're plugging in your macros, you're really taking all the guesswork out. Chronometer is going to get you about 99% of the way there when it comes down to where your, your nutrition should be. Granted, you, know, you could make some adjustments here and there uh, depending on you know, your activity levels. I, I think if you focused on putting on lean muscle and you kept your nutrition where it is and your hydration, your rest, you're like most of the way through the finish line. I mean, at that point, it's just fine tuning. But people get freaked out. I don't want to get bigger. I'm like, no, I understand that. Like, I, I, I never really met a woman that wants to get bigger, right? Mm -hmm. it, but I think a reason why a lot of them aren't hitting their goals properly is because they suddenly think by grabbing a five-pound dumbbell and doing 200 reps, that's going to, you know, that's going to suddenly create this long, lean muscle. It's bullshit. Like, the mm -hmm. body's not going to know. Like, the body doesn't know if, if, if Elise is holding five pounds or 20 pounds. The body knows tension. And there's a certain rep range where you're just training endurance. And there's a, but that doesn't mean you're not creating hypertrophy. And there's certain rep ranges that you're only training, uh, that, I'm sorry, that you're training strength and power, but it doesn't mean you're creating hypertrophy, which means that's muscle stimulation. That's bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. I know bodybuilders who do 15, 20 reps. And I know mm -hmm. bodybuilders who train five reps. Yeah. So what's the answer? I think a lot of this stuff's individualistic. I think we need to train at different rep ranges. I think it's good to experience and go through different rate rep ranges, you know, in specific training blocks. Keep your training fun. Keep it safe. Understand that just because some woman or some guy on Instagram is doing a specific movement doesn't mean it fits for you. Yeah, it's that simple. I love that. And that is a great segue to our next question. How do you know where to start with weights? I'm not even talking about movements. I'm talking about going and picking up a weight because there's all these recommendations, you know, like start with 10, 15 pound dumbbells or whatever. And then like, what happens if that's too much for some people or, yeah, or too but it's little? Like, how well, do you, it's, it's completely wrong. How do you wrong. know? It, how do you it's, know? it's completely wrong. I mean, I could turn to someone and say, start with a 10 pound dumbbells. What if we have them doing a rear dumbbell fly, a reverse dumbbell fly, which would look like this. 10 pounds mm -hmm. could be really heavy. It mm -hmm. could be very, really heavy for a, a, a strong man, you know, let alone someone who's, decondition. So mm -hmm. I think the weights are all contingent upon the exercise you're doing. Your lower body is going to probably be one of the strongest areas of, of, of your body. And to turn around and say, well, I'm going to dumbbell press the same weight that I, that I get lift. I, I, I get lift close to 600 pounds. I'm not sitting there pressing, you right. know, double 300s over my head. I'm not even close. Like I'm not, I might be pressing hundreds over, over heavy shit. That's 200 pounds opposed to 600 pounds. Like that's a big discrepancy. And then I might go to a rear fly, which is the movement I just showed you. And mm -hmm. I might be doing that with between 20 and 30 pounds. Think about the discrepancy on those three movements. We just went from 600 pounds to hundred pounds in each hand to 20 pounds in each hand. I'm the same person. So to yes. turn around and to say, there's one weight that we're going to assign to one person is nonsense. I think if you only have one set of dumbbells, there's things we can do to create tension. We can slow down tempos, which means rep speed. We mm -hmm. can increase reps. We can increase sets, changing volume up. There's things we can do to create that stimulus. But to say that there's a specific weight that you need to start with, or if you go into a class and you hear these classes that are saying, oh, you know, you should not be lifting more than five pounds, that couldn't be any more false. That is complete nonsense. And if you ever hear that stuff, I would, I would devalue anything that individual is saying because that, that couldn't be any more further from the truth. So how do you know where to start though? When you're working with somebody, 
like do you do you assess what's comfortable for them or or how do you go about determining how much they can lift well no, well, no one's gonna no, no it, it's a great question so no one's gonna have access to me right so we're not gonna be in there and i'm not gonna be able to assess them so there's no point in me going through what my assessment process right. is but i think at the very least grab a weight that's too light like yes. go like go ahead grab a weight that's too light grab a weight that you know you can comfortably perform that set with an optimal level of execution and journal it. And if it says four sets of 10 or four sets of 15, and you did 10 pounds the first day, but the reality is you could really do 20, I don't care. Make a note next to it, say four sets of 15, 10 pounds, easy. Next week, go to four sets with 12 pounds or 15 pounds. Then you start pushing it. And then the idea is to start pushing the weight to a point where your your technique doesn't diminish. Right. So I I take people we we I don't I don't ever go to technical failure. So there's failure and there's technical failure. Failure is to the point where you're like collapsing and you're unable to move a rep. Technical failure is when I see someone and they're unable to perform another rep with an optimal level of movement quality. And in the beginning with someone who's just starting off, I never hit technical failure with them. And then as we increase that training age and they start developing more years under their belt with their training, then yes, when I'm working with you know professional bodybuilders or we're in here training and we're getting to a point where at the 10th rep or the 15th rep, we're exhausted and we want to turn around and we may want to throw in a little bit of a hitch or whatever it might be or a forced rep or we're having someone help us with a rep to be able to push beyond that barrier because our goal is hypertrophy, then we've earned the right to do that because our training age is you know, at a certain level and we have that foundation set up. But in the beginning, when you're starting off, go easier than hard. Consistency trumps intensity. And then when you start asking yourself, should I be going heavier? That's probably about the right time that you should be doing it. Yeah, I sometimes when I'm doing reps, I will go to technical failure and then I will just drop the weight and then resume as many reps as I said I wanted to do with a little bit of a lighter weight. Because if I I start messing around with my technique, that's when I get really sore. (laughs) Okay, so the next question, what training should I be doing to lose weight? So that one's tough, right? Because a lot of people believe a, that cardio is really the only way to do that. There, there is a conception out there, right? And then the other thing is when you're talking about getting lean mass through resistance training, that could mean gaining a little bit of weight potentially. So how do people resistance train to lose weight? I think the first question I would ask is, you know, what's that individual's training age? Like, are they just starting off? Because mm-hmm. if they're just starting off, I would probably go to my recommendation of that three days of resistance and two days of cardio to start. If they're, you know, someone who's got a higher training age and they're, you're like laughing because it's like, your dog's loving this right now. It really, it really depends on the individual. If there's someone that's been training and they've been, they have a higher training age and they're much more seasoned when it comes down to their level of experience. I think we got to assess what they've been doing. I think we got to assess their stress levels. And I think it's applying, you know, more volume without eating into building that muscle. Because if we start burning up muscle, I think that's a problem, right? And and a, mm-hmm. a lot of athletes do do this. Like you'll see a lot of hockey players because they're skating so much, they can't maintain that muscle mass. And I think for someone trying to get in a really good shape, we want to you know hold a specific amount of muscle mass, but we also want to obviously train a certain level of conditioning. And when you do this in conjunction with your nutrition plan, and it's, I think if you're at least, you know, 80 to 90% there, I think great things can happen. I think when you're trying to fine tune and you're trying to be on the cover of a magazine or you're trying to get on the stage, that answer is going to become much different. But I like assessing things in about two week spans. I like turning around and when I design a program for someone and I allow them to start a nutrition plan, I'll give them about two weeks on it. And I'll say, listen, no cheats for two weeks. Say completely consistent on this. Allow me to be able to make some smart decisions and allow me to be able to determine change. And after two weeks, I think I have a general idea. Well, how are you feeling? Well, Don, energy level's really low and I'm just feeling like crap and I'm starving all the time. They're probably undernourished, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, how are you feeling? You know what? I felt really full the first couple of days. I gained a pound, but kind of leveled off there and my clothes are fit me a little looser and I'm getting really hungry now. That's like, for me, a good indicator. I'm like, all right, great. We may just want to stay where we are. So, you know, it's a very 
it's an impossible question to answer in general because mm -hmm. everyone is different and everyone's starting at different levels. But I think for the newbie, I would start with those three days, two days of cardio, start there. And I think for the more seasoned trainee, I think it's about figuring out what level of stress can we give them? Stress meaning training. After two weeks, how are we going to adjust and adapt that? And how – with me, it's – yeah, it's about body composition, but it's also about performance. Like it's – like they're no use to me if they are looking great but they can't perform unless right. their goal is to go on stage. If their goal is to go on stage, that's their job and they just have to look a certain way. Performance really isn't mm -hmm. you know, a big key there. And hopefully in the offseason, we can reverse diet them and allow them to kind of heal and function the way that um, – a real human should be functioning. We're getting so many questions after our webinars about reverse dieting. I feel like this is really taking over. So I do want to talk about that in a second. One of the questions that I had from one of our staffers actually was about rest. Uh, how many people, how many times a week should somebody rest? And then if you've heard, I'm sure you have uh, a deload week, which is when you basically just don't exercise at all for a week, um, how often that should be done a year. So I know I'm like trying to quantify something with you, but just really general guidelines. How, yeah. how, how often should people be well, resting? Let's, let's start with the rest. Um, I think it tr comes down to training intensity. So mm -hmm. I know people who just half-ass their training all the time and they're just going in there and they're going through the motions and their activity levels low and God, they could be training six, seven days a week if they want, because they're just never overreaching. I don't right. think they're ever like going beyond their own threshold. And listen, they're active, they're, they're happy. And um, I think it would require them to rest a little bit less than maybe someone like myself, where right now I'm only lifting right now, probably four days a week, but I'm in, I'm in the water. I'm doing open water swimming. I'm in the water two to three days a week. I play hockey one day a week. I have to run one day a week. It's like you start adding that up on top of scheduling. Oh, yeah. You know, it becomes a lot. So you got to make sure that you're resting. And it gets tough because, you know, I, I named a lot of activity there. And there's only a certain amount of days in the week. So <laughs> I try and make sure that for someone like myself that I'm taking off one day a week and I'm keeping nutrition, I'm keeping my calories high, whether – it's high quality or whether, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying a meal or whatever it is. I'm never like, I'm trying on that day. I'm really trying to overshoot my calories because, and I never understood people, well, on your off days, let's reduce calories. Like I think for someone who's training a lot, that's the worst thing in the world because we're going to come into the following day in a, in a, in a bit of a deficit. Then you have to start training again. And it's like the, the purpose of, re of reducing someone's calories, if their activity levels low a lot, if someone's activity mm -hmm. level is never really low and they're getting one day off a week, why do you want to deprive them of energy, calories, to where then they're jumping into Monday a bit weaker? Because your body's going to respond to how it ate yesterday. Like, try not eating yesterday and then waking up today and going into a hard training session. Like, you may feel like complete garbage. You may get lightheaded. So, oh, yeah. I think there's all these things that people are trying to quantify and little things that people are trying to gift wrap and make look a certain way. But you know, it, it, it's all different per individual. But as for rest, you know, again, if your training's really easy and you're kind of dogging it, you're going to need some rest. You're not going to need re as much rest. If you're someone that's beating the crap out of yourself on top of uh, a hard work schedule and there's a lot of other variables in life, you know, you might want to throw a rest day in every two or three days and allow your body to recharge. I was talking to someone the other day. He was like, well, God, it's funny. I'm, I'm training Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And every Wednesday I'm going into my workout and I'm just dragging ass. And I'm like, well, why don't we just train Monday, Tuesday, use Wednesday as an off day and train Thursday, Friday. And then we could take it from there. If you need to throw more trainings days in, we could take, I do something called the revolving door. So it'd be like two on one off. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off, Thursday, Friday, Saturday off, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off. It's a revolving door. The, the, the rest days just always change. And they suddenly call me up and like, Oh my God, like, Within like a couple of days, I felt great. And within a week or two, I started hitting PRs because I felt like I was coming into my energy level was high. I'm like, great. But that comes down to stress. That comes down to training. I know some people that train five straight days and they're fine because their intensity is lower. So I think you got to assess, start journaling and start you know, following patterns. And if there's a certain day during the week that you're just really fatigued on, maybe you want to assess what are you doing the day before? You know, if there's a lot of training, like yesterday I did legs. I was, I had a group come out and we trained lower body. I was fried yesterday. I'm like, wow, my eating's been great. Let's look at our last couple of days. I'm like, well, I trained 
yesterday. I trained Tuesday. I trained Monday. I trained Sunday, which I never do. And I had to because I had an open water swim on Saturday. So I had an open water swim off the Jersey Shore. So I went Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday came in for my biggest day of the week. And I was four days in already. I was fatigued. Mm -hmm. and, and, And I felt it. And I felt a big gas. So what did I do today? I, I ended up taking off from the gym today. I did some technical work in the pool because I, it was a very easy day in the pool. I feel recovered. I already feel good. Tomorrow I'm going to come in. I'm going to be able to hit it. You wear Aura. I know that you work with Aura. Do you look at those numbers? You know, like all of these wearables now, not just Aura. There's other ones that have body batteries and strain levels. Are you relying solely on how you feel or are you putting weight, pun intended, into these numbers? Because I wore or for years and it would kind of like, I'd look at my HRV and I'm like, oh, that's low, you know? And then oftentimes it was right when my HRV was very low, I couldn't run very fast at all. And then when it was higher, I would, you know, get my PR. So do you rely on that or are you all just feeling it in your body? No, I think the I think the HRV numbers are, are getting more accurate. I think where a lot of the wearables are struggling is that they're not really measuring weight training. They're not measuring resistance training. Of course. Right? Yeah. So like, or you can't wear when you're resistance training. I'm a partner mm-hmm. of them. I'm not saying anything that's not, you know, that mm-hmm. that's, you know, against or it's going to piss them off. But like, whoop, like. Like uh, I wore a whoop years ago and you can't wear it in the pool and it wouldn't, I, I remember we turned around, I turned around one day and I, and I hit one of the best lifts. I remember hitting one of my best lower body sessions and we just absolutely killed it. And it said my strain was at like 13 mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay. And then I remember walking the golf course and playing 18 holes and my strain was 18. I'm like, all right, really? Like I pulled mm-hmm. almost 600 pounds off the ground and you know, we were hitting PRs that day and we had just had one of those longer sessions, but it's not recognizing that data. So I think HRV makes somewhat sense to me because it's taking into consideration your readiness after, you know, a night's rest. And I, and I, and what I use Aura for is, you know, is assessing how is my sleep quality? What mm-hmm. did I do the night before that could have affected that? You know, last week had a meal really late at night and I saw my sleep was crappy the next day and I'm sitting there going, I was my sleep shitty. And I'm like, oh my God, I eat probably an hour and a half to two hours past. I would normally eat mm-hmm. probably too close to bed. And that's probably what affected that. Right. And I think you can't make your assumption off of one night. I think there are patterns. Like if you oh, yeah. come in and you do that again and again and again, and you see that same pattern, then you, then, you know, but there are times where I've turned around and I've been like, oh God, you know, I ate re- uh, late at night. It was terrible for my sleep. And then, you know, maybe two months later, I ate late at night and suddenly my sleep was amazing. It's like, all right, well, what is it? There could be other factors in there. So I think this allows us to really assess and make behavioral change. I think what I love about Aura is that I can turn around now and I can really, I can truly look at my behaviors from the day before and determine what do I need to do to allow myself the highest level of success to get better quality sleep. And if I was to only use this thing for sleep, for me, that's good enough. Like, mm-hmm. uh, but now there are days where I might wake up like yesterday and my HRV is a little bit in the tank, but I have a group of people coming by to train and we're filming. Like, am I suddenly going to say, sorry, guys, I can't work out. I'm like, I know. I'm not going to, I know, but, but I'm not going to do it. And it's nonsense or like, uh, or, or turning around and suddenly it's Thursday and I have to get a training session in, but Friday I'm on a plane all day long to Germany. Mm-hmm. Or, or I'm making that up, or you know what I'm saying, or all day long to somewhere else. It's like Germany would be overnight. You get what I'm saying. Sometimes, like I'm looking. Well, tomorrow I can't get in the gym. Like there's no way it's not mm-hmm. happening. I got to get and do what I got to do today. And and that's when sometimes I'll just, you know, I'll suck it up and I'll go in there and I'll do the best I can and I'll overreach. And I don't think overreaching is a bad thing either. I, I think if we're always in the green, if we're always like, you know, oh God, I feel great. And this, like sometimes you got to put yourself. You got to throw some muck at the body. You got to push yourself beyond that point a little bit and allow your body to recover and pull yourself out of that hole, um, you know, a bit, but, you know, but recognizing when you're in that hole and saying, all right, I need some rest. I think that's, uh, that's a mature decision and that's training. 
I didn't live and die by aura or any wearable much like you just said, but I did love looking at trends. Like I have more than three years of data and Revelstoke, which is where I live, gets very snowy. And so in the winter, my run volume goes way down and my heart rate goes up. Like it's cool to look back at like winters because normally my resting heart rate's around like 45 beats a minute and then the winters it goes higher because I'm running less and like seeing those trends is so cool but same thing when Aura was would tell me or or Whoop because I'm testing out Whoop right now would tell me like you should go easier I'm like nah I'm still gonna do me (laughs) yeah yeah I I don't I don't think that I just I interviewed Brandon Marcello who's you know one of the uh, world's most renowned research experts when it comes to wearables or um this guy by the name of Raymaker, his handles DC Raymaker, and this guy just assesses technology like it's their job. Like this is what these guys do. Like they'd be a great interview for for you, but mm-hmm. they'll even be the first to tell you like these these wearables. They're not a hundred percent, but again, mm-hmm. trends. I think that's important. Body fat analysis. It's not a hundred percent. Like you go on for DEXA scans, or you or you go on in bodies or bod pods and there's going to be some form of discrepancy with these numbers. There is a way you can manipulate these numbers. I've gone in and done it. I've, I've lowered body fat from 9% to 6% in under 10 days. Like, how do you do that? It doesn't make sense from actually, you know, being able to manipulate numbers. I think where these devices get really valuable is they can show trends. So if in Mm -hmm. July you were getting six and a half hours sleep and then you're looking at August and you suddenly have seven hours of sleep, well, that's valuable information. That's quantifiable. Absolutely. And that's something now where I'm going to try and push that needle and maybe get seven and a half. Or, you know, I think things like that, I think it, I think when someone's turning around, they're having their cocktails and they know that anything past one drink is going to put them in the red. And they're suddenly saying, you know, I'm just going to have one because I don't want to wake up in the morning in the red. I think this is all positive stuff. But are these things now like high performance like is the data spot on? I don't think so. I don't think it's there yet. I think it'll get there one day. But I think I think if you ask me who is the best, I think it is Aura. Um, and I know that through interviewing uh, plenty of people who uh, do third party testing, and they're the ones I've been most impressed with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to talk to someone just about different wearables. The interesting thing that you just touched on was alcohol consumption because I drink alcohol maybe once a year. It's very rare. But it's really interesting to see the data on any wearable after I do, you know, consume alcohol because my heart rate is way higher, sleep quality is not as good. Like those are valuable insights for sure. And I really, I find that really interesting. I was listening to a podcast interview about someone that was just talking about uh, alcohol and, and recovery and definitely my own metrics agree with what they were saying. So that was cool. Uh, stretching. Stretching. Stretching is my worst nightmare. I'm trying to get so much better at it because I think it's really important. What What are your thoughts on stretching? How much time should people spend before, after workouts? Tell me everything you know. I think we should be stretching as much as we can. I, I really think movement is movement's key. I, I, I do know that there is flexibility and there is stability. They're, they're, they're two different things and that equals mobility. So I think you know, a lot of times you might see that woman in a split position. She's like, Oh my God, I'm always feeling tight. Well, you're in a split right now. You're probably not having flexibility issues in that position. It could be a stability thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's understanding, you know, it's not always stretching is the thing that's needed. So I I, I've seen people who are hyper flexible, meaning like they're gumby, like they can get in the positions yet. They always feel tight. So they might need more stability or I might see a, a, you know, a big guy that can hardly move that might need, more flexibility. Stability means strength. He has enough strength. So I, I think it's recognizing what is that individual need and it's movement. So if someone has no flexibility, then I'm trying to mix that in, you know, their dynamic warm up, pre-workout, and then post-workout. I'm going to get them into positions when their body is warm and I'm going to get them to do some static holds to move. But does that mean I'm going to tell them that they shouldn't be doing that in the afternoon? Or if someone turns to me and they're like, I'm really tight and I'm going to stretch morning at lunch and in the evening, why am I going to tell them no to that? Like, it doesn't make sense. Some people, oh, well, you don't need it. It doesn't work. I'm going to push it. Like movement's moving. Get out of the chair, move, get in the positions, breathe, do it as much as possible. I'm going to quote Dr. Andrew Spina. 
He's the founder of Functional Range Conditioning. And I, I was talking to him. He's been a friend for years. And I've taken this course, I think, six times because I, I hosted it at Drive. It's an excellent course. I asked him one day, I said, what's your routine like? He goes, you know, it's interesting. He goes, I'm always, um, I work out with all my clients. So I'm not doing like full workouts, but every single client, if it's eight, 10 people a day, I'm getting on the mat with them and I'm getting into specific positions throughout the day. And I'm just accumulating all this work throughout the day. And I thought about it and I'm like, well, if you're training for hypertrophy, that wouldn't really work because you're not stimulating you know, right. enough muscle and you're not getting that muscle pump and all these things that you need. But from a mobility standpoint, I thought it was pretty exceptional because he's getting out of that chair. He's getting out of that, you know, kyphotic position. And this person's adding, you know, Dre's adding, you know, um, uh, lubricating his joints and getting his waist out of his muscle and fresh oxygen, fresh blood through um, oxygen throughout the blood. And he's, um, he's instilling movement in his own life. And that's why he moves great. So uh, yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of, of moving, whether it's flexibility work, whether it's stability work to, to create mobility. And I think we should be doing that um, you know, as much as we can handle. I love that. You, Don gave us a mobility workout. If anyone wants to find it, it's on our Instagram. You should check it out. Okay. Muscle soreness. I'm, I'm seeing so much about ice baths. I'm seeing so much about cold dips. What can be done about muscle soreness? Is that, is that supposed to alleviate muscle soreness? Tell me. You know, it, it, it's funny. People, a lot of people try and judge the success of their workout based off of soreness. It has nothing to do with it. How sore you are has nothing to do with if you had a good training session or not. We could just throw in, we could just throw in a new movement. And, and have them perform a movement that they haven't done in years at a 50% intensity. And uh, they can wake up being incredibly sore. So I like first by saying that soreness is not, not what determines a successful workout. You can work out when you're sore, right? Mm -hmm. Like just because you're sore doesn't mean you have to stay away from something. If you are sore and you're trying to eliminate some of that soreness, I think foam rolling, I think using a massage gun, I think stretching, I think massage, Fred saunas, cold plunges. I think all these things can help. You know, it can help with re recovery. I find what helps the most is doing a lot of that recovery work immediately after your workout. So when you build up all that lactic acid, going in and spending some time working on flexibility. Yesterday, you know, we, we after we did a leg session, we went out to the monkey bars, we moved breathed a little bit, walked around on the grass barefooted, got into the sauna for 20 minutes, got into the cold plunge for three minutes, took a shower, had a meal. My legs aren't that sore today. And I had a, an insane leg workout. So yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, don't look at it as a negative thing, but on the other hand, don't look at it as something that's determining your level of success of, of how much of, of how sore you actually are. I like that because I actually don't feel as accomplished if I'm not sore and I never really thought about it otherwise. I'm like, I should lift more weight. So I think that uh, that's, that's something we've all been. There's a cost a to doing business. There's a cost to doing business. Like, and that comes down to volume in your training. Like if I was to turn around tomorrow and have you come in and just do lunges and that's it. And we just kept doing lunge set after lunge set after lunge set. Yeah. You're going to be sore. Right. But there's also, there could be a cost to doing that. If we do 100 sets of lunges, how are your joints going to respond in time? My knees are going to scream. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, how are your joints going to feel in time? You might be one of these people that can do it till they're blue in the face. And then someone else might come in and like, oh my God, my body's just not meant to move this way. That's why this stuff is individualistic. And that's part of the problem also. You're looking at someone with a great physique who's been incredibly strong. This has worked for them. And then they go in and apply to someone who you know, has no external rotation in their, in their shoulder, or they have no thoracic, upper thoracic extension, you know, they're always tight and they're trying to press overhead and they can't get in a position. Yeah. You could potentially cause issues there. So it's not a one size fits all thing. Which brings me to our next question, which I think I know the answer to already, but how long will it take to see results? I'm talking physical results. I'm assuming this is based on so many factors. But tell me what you think about. Well, re re results for me, I mean, they could be a lot of non-scale victories. I call them MSVs, non-scale yeah. victories. So if someone's turning around, like I said earlier, and they're two weeks in and, you know, they've gained a pound, but their clothes are starting to fit them a little bit looser and their energy level's higher and they're feeling great. And, you know, you have all these non-scale victories. I think that's a result right there. But 
you know, I've seen people make body composition change in a week to two weeks. Um, naturally, we can go completely carb free on them and they could see results on the scale within days. The question is, is that sustainable over time? Is that, uh, are you, how are you going to feel in six months? If you're, if you continue that path of not having, not consuming one of the most important macronutrients, which is carbohydrates, like, like I always, I've been saying this for 20, 25 years, like, well, I consume no carbs. I'm like, well, hold on. You can consume no bad carbs, but are you consuming good carbs? Because mm-hmm. I have no problem with sweet potato. I have no problem with quinoa. Uh, I think lentils are great. I think fruit, in mo- you know, moderation is fantastic. You know, even some rices, you know, I, I have no problem with certain people depending on how they can tolerate them consume. So results can be, I think one to two weeks, you can start seeing a physical result, but I pay more attention to non-scale victories. And I don't think we should be caught up so much in the scale. I agree. Reverse dieting. So we've heard a ton about this. Can you just walk us through really quickly what reverse dieting yeah reverse diet yeah reverse dieting is a term that i think was derived more from bodybuilding what would happen is you have these bodybuilders who'd prepare for the for the stage they'd be competing and they would have to go into what we call a cut they'd be cutting a significant amount of size a body weight they would obviously try and almost vacuum seal Mm -hmm. their their skin to their muscles so they're in their off season they're trying to put on muscle bodybuilders and then in season, as they're preparing, they're trying to drop a significant level of body fat to where they can go into the composition with their skin as tight as possible. And in doing so, they're going to have to get themselves into a pretty significant deficit. And I've done dieting like this before. I find it to be dangerous. I find it to be incredibly unhealthy. And from a functionality standpoint, I remember stopping on the street in 57, on 57th Street Lex holding onto a sign because I, I legitimately couldn't walk two days before a shoot. That's how incapacitated I was. So what happens is when you get to the shoot date and you're all tight, you're all vacuum sealed, you can't continue to eat like this all the time, right? Because your performance is going to drop. Hormonally, you're going to screw something up and it can be very unhealthy. So you've got, in my opinion, three options. You can continue to eat the same way, which is extremely dangerous. You can go to a complete binge and I've saw I've seen someone within 36 hours gain 35 pounds after a bodybuilding competition. 35 pounds within 36 hours because this guy went and brought his cot into the cheesecake factory and just basically sat there meal after meal and ate his face off and blew up like a blowfish because it was like a dry sponge being thrown into water. He right. just retained all that water back. Or you could do what I think is the safest thing to do, and that's called reverse dieting. And that's slowly beginning to re-implement carbohydrates and fats, both or one of them, whatever macronutrient that you really, you know, depressed because proteins mm-hmm. typically going to stay pretty high because we need to keep it somewhat high to be able to maintain muscle mass. But reverse dieting is a term used to where we slowly start bringing the two macronutrients, carbs and fats, back up. Maybe even protein back up a little bit if someone was in that much of a deficit. So, but we want to do this strategically. So, if you turn around and you let's say this. Let's say before you start dieting, Don's eating 275 grams of protein and 500 grams of carbs and 125 grams of fat. And then he goes into his contest dieting and drops those numbers down to 100 grams of carbs. I'm not going to go from 100 grams of carbs back to 500 grams of carbs overnight. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to feel like crap. So what I might do is I might for a week, I might jump, do the math on it, 50 grams of carbs, right? Which is taking it now from 100 to 150. 50 Mm -hmm. grams of carbs might be 200 calories, Mm -hmm. right? And I might do that for a week and allow my body to adapt. And then the following week, I might bring it up another 50. So now I'm back up to 200 grams of of carbs. And I might do that for a week. And then the week after, I might bring it up another 50. There's different ways of approaching it. But reverse dieting is taking a slow way of re-implementing in nutrition without throwing it into your system too quickly. We, We actually... Getting away from reverse dieting, it's almost very similar to someone who might use chronometer and might be in a heavy deficit. And we've seen this. Someone, I only eat 100 calories a day, and chronometer is telling me to eat 2,000 calories a day. I'm not telling you to eat 2,000 calories the first day. I'm telling you to slowly start bringing those calories up over the next five, seven, 10 weeks Mm -hmm. and allow the body to really acclimate to that higher level of calories to where we are able to process what we're consuming, not feel sick and allow ourselves not to put on a significant amount of body fat. That's awesome. I know that a lot of people are going that way. I myself did that with great success. 
I'm eating more calories than I ever imagined that I could and maintaining my weight. So for me, it's been transformative. And as someone who grew up being, you know, fed that 1200 calories is what I should be eating. I definitely probably did some damage to my body in my, in my teen and twenties. Our last question for you is what is the best diet? It's funny now with diets because everyone wants to name a diet, right? Absolutely. There's, there's, there's diets now that, you know, the, the, I heard of macrobiotic diet. And then I, mm-hmm. you know, then there's the whole 30 diet. I went up, I looked up the definition of whole 30 diet. It was like a normal diet of like protein and healthy carbs and fats. And I'm like, oh, wow, they're naming this stuff now. If you I want did to that. Inter- I did the whole 30. Yeah, I mean, it's just, great, just, great. just, just for funsies, but I agree. I think the best yeah. diet is one that's sustainable for you that meets yeah. the nutrient requirements. Um, if you ask me, if you ask me though, out of all the named diets out there, all the diets with titles on it, what would be the one that I would say is the best? I, I like the Mediterranean diet the best. Mm-hmm. I, I think in my eyes, yeah, I think, listen, you know, you're getting lean proteins, you're getting a lot of vegetables. You're getting healthy fats through olive oil. It's delicious. You know, I, I, I just think, I think that to me is a, a very well-rounded, uh, very nutrient-dense diet. I'm not against the paleo diet, I'm, but I'm also not against grains. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of us can handle grains and I know paleo is more against that. So yeah, I think that's kind of where I stand. If I had to stick with one, it's definitely the Mediterranean. Unsurprising considering that Don is Italian. <laughs> and I'm Greek. And, and I'm Greek. Oh, wow. There's uh, the blue zones, right? The blue zones yeah. are basically like the the seven, I want to say it's seven places in the world that people right. live the longest. And most right. of them follow Mediterranean diets. Right. Anyway, you uh, hammered out the top 10 most Googled questions about fitness. I love in, it. In 53 minutes. <laughs> uh, well, you know I'm going to repost this because I think that was fun. And listen, anytime I can get on, you know, a call with you, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm doing back this, so just let me know. Yeah, thank you so much. We're so happy that you're here for episode three, and uh, I'm going to see you in a week. I can't wait, Don Con, guys. Thank you. thank you for listening, Alisa. You're the best. I'll talk uh, to you. One, one, one more quick thing. Where can we find you? Tell oh. us all your channels. Yep. You know, go to donsaldino.com or all my handles are pretty much Don Saldino. I'm pretty, you know, I do a lot of work on Instagram, but donsaldino.com is great. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Don. See you soon. Thanks, honey. Bye. Bye.